Thank you, Steve. That's good stuff. Amen? I so appreciate the spirit that I feel here today. You know, the Bible talks about worshiping Him in spirit and truthfully, being truthful about it. That is, it's real and it's not phony. How many of you know phony doesn't pay? Alice was to bake a cake for the church ladies' bake sale, but she forgot to do it until the last minute. She baked an angel food cake, and when she took it from the oven, the center had dropped flat. There was no time to bake another cake. So she looked around the house for something to build up the center of the cake. She found it in the bathroom, a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> she plunked it in and covered it with icing. The finished product looked beautiful, so she rushed it to the church. But before she left the house, Alice had given her daughter some money and clear instructions to be at the bake sale the minute it opened and to buy that cake and bring it back home. When the daughter arrived at the sale, the attractive cake had already been sold. Alice was beside herself. The next day, Alice was invited to a friend's home where two tables of bridge were to be played that afternoon. After the game, a fancy lunch was served, and to top it off, the cake in question was presented for dessert. Alice saw the cake, started to get out of her chair to rush into the kitchen to tell her hostess all about it, but before she could get to her feet, one of the other ladies said, Oh, what a beautiful cake! Alice sat back in her chair when she heard the hostess, who was a prominent church member, say, Thank you, I baked it myself. <laughs> Everybody say it pays to be real. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55 and let's stand and read the word today. We're ministering a series on seeking God. And I want you to say with me the little, the little quote that we've been, we've been uh, repeating every week. Ready? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to seek God. The main thing is to live for God once you have been born again. And so for several weeks now, we've been ministering on the benefits of seeking God. How many of you have had your seeking of God accelerated in the last few weeks? I have, and I pray that the Word is working and moving on all of us to do that. But Isaiah brings a word on seeking God, and I want us to read it in Isaiah 55, verse 6. And I'm going to call this today, How to Seek God. How to Seek God. He says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now verse 8 is very important. And 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, I need to go to Psalms 34, verse 10. Almost forgot. A great verse. Psalms 34, verse 10. One more verse, one more passage on seeking God. Psalms 34, verse 10. David says, The young lions lack, and they suffer hunger. Psalms 34, verse 10. 
The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Isn't that good news? Father, thank you, Lord, for blessing your word to our hearts. I thank you it will not return void, but it will do what it's sent forth to accomplish. And thank you for moving on this congregation of believers that our seeking of you is going to accelerate. And as a result, we're going to be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, say with me, seek the Lord, and you can be seated. Well, the Hebrew word for seek, the Hebrew word for seek is darash, darash. And it means to tread, to tread, as in the way you would tread out a path, to tread or to frequent or to follow. There is a repetitiveness behind the idea of seeking anything. It means to consult. Seek is, indicates a private seeking of God in prayer for direction. The word is often used to describe the seeking of the Lord in the sense of entering into a covenantal relationship with Him. The prophets often used darash or seek as they called on the people to make an about face, change in living, and instead seek the Lord while He may be found. Now, when I say seek the Lord, it sounds like something's lost and we're trying to find it. I want to assure you, God is not lost. Matter of fact, God hasn't moved. I heard this week about a husband and a wife driving down the road. As they were driving down the highway, the wife turned to the husband and said, you know, we've been married a long time, and we used to cuddle, and we don't cuddle anymore. The husband sat there for a while and then turned to her and said, I haven't moved. And you know what, folks? God has not moved. God is still there. And it's not that he's lost and we've got to go find him, but we are to seek him once we have found him, that we might know him better, that we might spend time with him and become more like him. Everyone who has been born again has been called to seek God and to worship God in spirit and in truth. We have been raised from the spiritual dead. We used to be dead in trespasses and sins, but we have been raised from the spiritual dead. We have been made alive in Christ. Dead people don't praise God. Dead people don't seek God. But we are not dead. We are alive in Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says we are to seek God. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God, I've found out in reading the Bible, I've discovered more than ever that God longs for us to seek Him. God wants us to seek Him. Isaiah the prophet said, He's findable. I want you to say with me, God is findable. He says, seek the Lord while He may be found. Not only is He findable, but it tells us that He is near. God's near. He's not off in some other galaxy. He's not off ministering to the Billy Grahams of this world and ignoring the rest of the body of Christ. He said, call upon Him while He is near. In Acts 17, 27, Paul told his listeners that God is not far. He's not far from any of us. Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, seek the kingdom of God and all these things, food, water, clothes, shelter, will be added to you. He said, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind about life. Don't fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God longs to give us the kingdom. We have these precious people from New Orleans today. 
lost their home, lost everything that they had. And I know that had to have been just an incredible trial to go through. But I'm going to tell you something. If I woke up tomorrow morning and I had lost everything, I like to think, I believe this. I believe that first and foremost, I would seek God. Because Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Don't have an anxious mind about your state of being. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness or His way of doing things. And all these things that the world is worried about and filled with fear about will be given to you as a side benefit of seeking God. There's so much in the Bible about seeking God. As I read the scriptures, I see that seeking God always produced blessings. I found that seeking God always produced great works of faith. Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God, and how do you know God? You know God by seeking God, shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I found that in seeking God, seeking God produced victory over enemies. You can read it over and over again in the Bible. I think all of us in here today have an enemy of one kind or another, visible or invisible, And the Bible says that, for instance, King Jehoshaphat sought God when a mighty enemy came against him. It says when the enemy came against him, he immediately prepared his heart to seek God. And the Bible says Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord when a huge, massive army was coming against him. And God replied by telling Jehoshaphat, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. He will fight for you today and you will hold your peace. Now, who did that promise come to? It came to somebody who sought God in a trial. There is blessing to seeking God. In Scripture, I find that seeking God produced prosperity. The Bible says, Scripture speaks of King Hezekiah for an example. and says, and in every work, that he began in the service of the house of the Lord. Hezekiah failed not to seek his God with all his heart. And then it says, so he prospered. If you want to prosper in this life, I'm going to give you the straight track to prosperity. It is not living for yourself. It is not living like this world. It is not taking care of you and only you. It is not me, myself, and I, but it is the person who seeks the Lord. It says of King Uzziah, Scripture says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. God's got a blessing in heaven for every person who looks up and says, Lord, I've been born again, raised from the spiritual dead. You have had mercy on my life. I'm headed to heaven. Jesus lives in my heart. Because you raised me from the dead, you didn't raise me from the dead to live for myself. You didn't raise me from the dead to live like this world. You raised me from the dead that I might seek God and live. In Scripture, I find that seeking God produced joy. How many of you in here want joy, unspeakable and full of glory? How many of you want to get up with a skip in your step, a gleam in your eye, a smile on your face? How many of you want to wake up and say, good morning, Lord, instead of good Lord, it's morning? Listen to the Bible. First Chronicles 16 says, let the hearts of those rejoice. Let the hearts of those rejoice. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. 
Amen. There is joy that comes to the person who seeks God. Now the Bible also says that those that seek God will have good success. David told Solomon after commissioning him to build the temple, he said, now Solomon, here's my advice to you. If you want success in building the temple, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. And he sought God with all of his heart. And God blessed him. And as soon as he departed from God, as you read his life, the blessing of God lifted. Folks, I'm telling you, there is something about seeking God. Even flowers, I've noticed, in the morning, if they're wilted, if they're drooping, when the sun rises, they will rise to face that sun. Even a flower knows to lift up and seek life. The Bible says those that seek God will experience deliverance from fear. Psalms 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and He delivered me from all, not some, all, not one, all, not most, all my fears. The Bible says that those that seek the Lord will experience rest from enemies. 2 Chronicles 14, 7 King Asa told his people, because we have sought the Lord our God, he has given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. How many of you can say, well, that's seven good reasons to seek God? Well then, since seeking God is so beneficial, how do we seek him? How in the world do we seek him? What does it mean to seek God? Do I just get up and, and look up? How, do you, how does the Bible tell us to seek God? Isaiah pave the road for us. Here's what he said in the text we read, Isaiah 55, verse 6. Isaiah said the first thing you do when you begin to seek God is call on His name. Can everybody say with me, call upon Him? Oh, Pastor Jeff, that sounds pretty spiritual. I don't know how to do that. Let me tell you, you've already called on people today. I've already called on somebody. I called on Kathy. I said, Kathy, do you want me to take this dog out back before we leave? And Kathy answered, yes. Isn't that profound? I even call on her with another name I use. I said, Kathy Lou, are you ready yet? How many of you men did that today? When things are going good, it's Kathy. When I'm irritated, it's Kathy Lou. Seems like every Sunday I do at least one Kathy Lou. And she called back, chill. <laughs> Spiritual. But that's what call means. Call upon him. Call upon him, Isaiah said. That's one of the first things you do when you're going to seek God. When you get up in the morning, you call upon the Lord. David assured us the Lord will hear when I call upon him. In another place, he said, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies when I call upon the Lord. Call is the idea of accosting a person or to call out to a person before today is out. You will have called on all kinds of people. All that God asks us to do is to look up. Because listen, doubt looks inward. Fear looks outward. But faith looks upward and calls 
out on God. Isn't it amazing how we can go be going through all kinds of trials and we can talk this way and we can talk within ourselves. But faith says, look up, speak up, call out upon the name of the Lord and He will answer you if you seek His face. I love the promise in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me. Now this is incentive. Call to me and I will answer you. I will answer you. Say with me, He will answer me. And show you great and mighty things you have not yet even known. When we take the time to lift our faith and our voice to God and we decide to seek God and we call out on Him, if we call out in, on faith, in faith and believe Him to move, God has surprise blessings. God has blessings you don't know anything about. God has blessings you've never seen. And God releases them to people who seek the Lord. So we get up in the morning and we call out, Lord, I need wisdom. I need guidance. I need strength. I need deliverance. I need help. Call out on Him. Lord, I want to know You better. I want, I want You to open Your Word to me. Draw me close to You, Lord. And the Bible says God hears that call. He hears that cry. And He says, I've got a blessing you've never even seen. Here it comes. Come on, everybody. So what could that possibly be, Jeff? I don't know. It's a surprise. Eye has not seen, neither has the ear heard, neither has it entered into your heart the things that God has prepared for those who seek Him and love Him. You know, we talk so much about what you can't do with Christianity. You can't this, can't that, can't do this, can't do that, can't go here, can't go there. Let me talk to you about what you can do. You can worship God with all of your heart in spirit and in truth. You can call on the name of the Lord with a clear conscience. He hears the voice of His children and He answers. It's His pleasure, good pleasure, to give to us the fullness and the blessing of His kingdom. That We can praise Him. We can fellowship with one another, covered in the blood of Jesus, forgiven of all of our sins, headed to heaven, missing hell. Thank God there is a blessing. If you don't have anything else to thank Him for, thank Him that you got saved. So say with me, call upon Him while He is near. Now the second thing that Isaiah said you do when you're seeking the Lord is, I'm going to say it's a six-letter word that not a lot of people like, but it's the doorway to blessing. Are you ready? Repent. Oh, I don't like that word, Pastor Jeff, because repent means something's wrong. Can I tell you something? Something's wrong. But I'm okay. You're okay. No, that's the lie of the culture. You're not okay and I'm not okay. Now we've been redeemed. But I personally believe that true Christian living is a life of continual repentance. It's not a life of continually being saved, but it's a life of continual repentance. We need to clear the air. Listen to what he said. He said after he told us to call upon the Lord, he said, let the wicked man forsake his ways and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Ways are your wrong actions. Thoughts are what precede wrong actions. Repent means to make a strong turning to a new course of action, to change one's mind or purpose. We need to repent. In 1929, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena was the only postseason college football game. And the unbeaten, rambling Rex, W-R-E-C-K-S, 
from Georgia Tech played the once-defeated University of California Golden Bears for the mythical national championship. In the second quarter, Georgia Tech fumbled near midfield. Cal defensive back Roy Regals picked up the football, ran toward the Tech goal line, got bumped and turned around, lost his sense of direction, and to the astonishment of the huge crowd, took off toward his own end zone, pursued by one lone teammate. Can you imagine? Behind him, stop! Wrong way, Roy, was tackled just short of the wrong goal line by a teammate. When he stood up and looked around, realized what had happened. First half was over. The crowd was booing him. He was cherry red. He could not believe that he got bumped, turned around, and made a fool of himself running the wrong way. But listen now. Every one of us got bumped. And every one of us, until Jesus tackles us, are running with the ball the wrong way. When they got into the dressing room for the halftime, wrong way Roy walked over to a bench in the far corner and cried his eyes out. None of the teammates would talk to him. The coach, when it was time to go back out, made this announcement. He said the same team that played in the first half will play the second half. All the team said, you don't mean him. And he said, you don't mean me. And the coach took him aside and said, Roy, you fumbled and you messed up in the first half. The first half is over. This is the second half. Now get out there. Can I tell you something about Jesus Christ? He tackles you just before you completely destroy yourself. He's running behind you. If you're not walking with Him today, any deviation from the Word of God, any deviation from what you know is right, any trek into sin, you may have money, you're carrying the ball. You may look good, you're carrying the ball. But in heaven, they're saying, wrong way. And behind you is the hound of heaven. Behind you is Jesus Christ. Behind you is the Son of God. And he's doing everything in the world to tackle you and stop you before you ruin your life and before you cross that line from which there is no return. And once he tackles you, and you realize what you have done, and you realize where you have gone, and you realize the depths to which you sunk, your own mind will be saying to you, how can you run? How can you be in the game? People may say to you, you know, if you hadn't done those things, maybe you could be in the game. Church people, Pharisees and Sadducees 
will tell you, who are you to run again? Who are you to play again? But I'm glad to say that the captain of my salvation, come on, everybody. My King of Kings, my Lord of Lords, the one who died for me and rose from the dead, says to me, that was the first half. Come on, everybody. That was the first half. Praise God. You can get up again, not in your own righteousness, but because of the blood of Jesus. Get out there and play. Come on, everybody. Glory to the Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. That was the first half. That was the first half. But I stumbled. That was the first half. I really messed up. That was the first half. I failed God. That was the first half. The blood of Jesus covers you from every sin, washes away all iniquity, dusts you off, stands you on your feet. Don't you know Simon Peter said, I blew it. He called me to preach. And what did I do? I used my voice to deny him. But then the coach met him on the seashore and said, Peter, it's not over unless I say it's over. And I'm telling you, feed my sheep. And it was Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached a message that brought 3,000 souls into the kingdom of God. And he wrote letters that smack of an intellectual giant. And God carried him all of his days, living for him, a pillar of the church until they hung him upside down on the cross and he died. We serve a forgiving God. And that's why I hate Pharisees and Sadducees in the way they act, because God is redemptive. We're called to repent. And the minute that you repent, he says, stand up, let's go on. Jesus came to forgive us of our sin. Isaiah said, seek him, call upon him, repent of any sin standing between you and him. And the last thing that he said, Isaiah intimated, he suggested, he, he commanded, you're going to have to yield your stubborn will to him and give him your life. If you're going to seek him, you're going to have to yield your stubborn will. Pastor Jeff, I don't have a stubborn will. That right there shows you do. <laughs> I'm meek and lowly in heart. Can, can I ask the person closest to you if you have a stubborn will? If you're married, can I ask your spouse if you have a stubborn will? Well, they'll say no, because they're all messed up. <laughs> Can I ask your children if you have a stubborn will? Isaiah makes it clear that a big part of the problem in seeking God is our own ways, our own thoughts that stand in defiance against God. That's why after telling us to seek Him, God said, now you're going to have to lay your ways down and forsake your own thoughts. And here's the problem, because my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Now, immediately he is telling us, you and me, we got a problem. How many of you, when you got married, it took you about one week or less to discover that the person you married had ways 
that weren't yours. And you had ways that weren't theirs. And if you didn't lay your ways down and somewhere meet in the middle, that dog won't hunt. You thought they were so perfect until you said, I do. And then you realized they were deceiving you the whole time. That's the way Kathy feels, don't you? There's a problem with us and God, folks, and it's a matter of our ways. His ways are not our ways and vice versa. This is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing things. So in successively, successfully rather, seeking God, we must be in a yielded, submissive frame of mind. Or guess what? We can't hear him. We can't hear him. Because your own thoughts and your own ways are standing in contradistinction to God. That's why Jesus said in Gethsemane, not my will, not my will, but thine be done. If he hadn't prayed that, he would have looked up and said, get me out of here. But he willingly laid his life down because he knew it was the will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to close with this, but this is the key to seeking God. With eyes wide open, he says, to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And boy, it's a powerful temptation. Go with the crowd. Conform yourself to the ways of this world so that you don't get persecuted or criticized or made fun of or rejected. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. Thus, and only then, you will prove and practice that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. He's telling us, you can't even know the will of God unless your attitude towards Jesus is yielded. So when I seek God, I go out on the porch, go out there every morning, and the first thing I do is I say, Lord, and I call upon him. And, you know, no sooner do I say, Lord, and I begin to call upon him and talk to him, that he shows me things now. You need to get this under the blood and that under the blood. And you had an attitude here, and you said some things there. And I'm sorry, Lord, I, I repent. But then I'm not going to have a quality time with God unless I'm yielded in my attitude. If I'm sitting there going... I'm going to listen to you if you say what I like. You know why some people don't seek God? They're afraid of what he's going to say. Hey, you know that certain area in your life? You need to let me in there. I don't want to hear that. There is a kind of monkey that is in Africa that here's the way they trap them. They trap them by putting food in this gourd that is so grown and so constructed by God in such a way that when the monkey puts his hand in there to get the food, he can't get it back out. 
unless he lets go. He's got to let go. Then he can pull his hand out. But they so want what they have grabbed and are hanging on to that they'll let trappers come up and take them before they'll let go. And how we are as people, we're afraid that God is going to say, let go. So we're going, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, no. I'll let you save me. I want to go to heaven, but not, 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 not this. And I'm going to pretend I didn't even hear you say that, Lord. Uh-uh. And so God sends the Holy Spirit and all kinds of pressure to get you to let go. And you find that when you let go, liberty was waiting for you. But you got to let go. Now, you can't speak God and you can't hear God saying this is the way to walk in it unless you've given up your ways. But I'm so afraid about you that if I go to him and I'm yielded to him and I listen to him, he's going to say, I've called you to missions. Go to another country. But we don't realize that if he really did and we went, we'd be so happy. Because the center of the will of God is where there is peace. So to seek him, say to me, I must call upon him. I must repent. And I must be yielded to him. And if we'll do that, all those blessings I share with you that come to the seeker of God, God's going to bless you. You can't escape it. It's going to bless you. If you hold on and hold back and don't seek God, the sad thing is we get one life and it's gone. And you're going to have missed a chance to know what God had in his mind to save you. And so I'm exhorting you as your pastor to seek God. Just get up and seek God. And whatever he tells you to do, do it. And he's going to bless you. Can we stand together? Thank you. 